Welcome to Herb W. Morgan's Slaying Bulls and Bears, a podcast about economics, markets, investing, politics, and profit. Every Monday, in less than 20 minutes, Wall Street portfolio manager Herb W. Morgan distills the complex and complicated into the simple and sensical. Here's Herb now. Good morning, everyone. Tuesday, July 5th, 2022. I'm Herb Morgan, Senior Managing Director and Chief Investment Officer here at Efficient Market Advisors. This is my weekly economic and market commentary. You can follow me intro week on LinkedIn and Twitter, although I probably put a little bit more content on LinkedIn given that it has a greater capacity. Um, you could, this is available via slides. If you're seeing this, then you already get it. It's also available as a podcast if you like to just hear it without the slides while you're driving or in the car, whatever. Presentation uh, has been prepared by me for use with you, whether you are a financial advisor or an individual investor. Either way, you're expected to make your own investment decisions. Nothing contained in the presentation should be treated as investment advice. No recommendations for the purchase or sale of any securities. The information contained herein is purely for informational purposes only. Nothing shall constitute advice and all of that good stuff. Let's get into it because economic data was pretty mixed last week. Let's start with durable goods orders. They were expected to go up a tenth of a percent. They went up seven tenths, which was very, very good. And it was a better read than uh, April. Although anecdotally, it appears that most things have slowed down considerably in June. So admittedly, this is a tad bit dated. Take out big ticket transportation, we still had seven tenths versus an estimate of 3%, three tenths, so that's more than a double. Capital goods orders, X uh, aircraft, non-defense X aircraft gained 0.5. But why? Well, we see the incentive to invest in labor saving equipment very high because labor costs are very high. On the one hand, high labor costs means a higher standard of living for the nation's workers. That's certainly a good thing, one of the great promises of capitalism. On the other hand, um, it's inflationary and it can impact earnings in the short run while companies adapt, improvise, and innovate, which is what we're seeing with the capital expenditures. Okay, got plenty of uh, data on residential real estate. And this is May pending home sales again. Things are happening so fast right now. If, you, if you're following home prices and looking in your own neighborhood, you've probably seen price drops. Um, the, at least the year-over-year price gains have moderated considerably. Uh, May, pending home sales, this is quantity, not price, up seven-tenths of a percent versus an estimate of down four-tenths of a percent. And um, so that was a surprise to see them go up but they remain down 12% from a year ago. And then of course we know in June, we ended up having 10 year treasury and therefore you know, mortgage rates start to decline a little bit. And perhaps uh, we'll skip at least for another month or two, the bloodbath as some are expecting in, uh, in residential real estate. Moving on to residential real estate and to prices. This is April data. So take it with a grain of salt. FHA house price index rose more than expected, second straight month, 18.8% year over year. I don't know what the main number will bring, but I would guess uh, it will not bring a 1.6% price increase. In fact, probably a good chance of a little bit of a decrease, but real, real estate data is lag, so it's good to look real time in your own neighborhood to get a better idea of what's happening. S&P uh, Case-Shiller home price index, similar to the FHFA, 
Uh, rose 1.77, a little bit below expectations of 1.9. That's up 21% on a year-over-year basis. I mean, thinks, I think that has to go down uh, here in the coming months. Rates have risen a bit, uh, but certainly there's so much data to suggest the economy is slowing at a very modest pace, I might add. Um, that these kind of, obviously, these kind of year-over-year gains are completely unsustainable. Speaking of some of that data that's showing that slowing, it, we showed you last week Michigan sentiment, very negative, uh, and as goes the consumer, so goes the economy. Uh, following it up this week with the conference board's sentiment indicator, consumer confidence fell from 103.2 to 98.7, and it was below expectations. You can see, looking at the graph here, with the bar chart, I guess, you know, we're getting down to the late levels that are almost down to the COVID shutdown levels. That's a low level of sentiment, given that we're not shut down, but it is the inflation, it is the gasoline prices, it is the consumer prices at the grocery store for protein, meat, and so forth. Now, I'm gonna show you in a little bit why some of those things are moderating considerably. So maybe we're getting near the bottom on these, co these confidence readings, and I don't think we'll get as low as we did back during the COVID pandemic because that was pretty darn horrific. Uh, but we did see present situation drop again and expectations fell again and squarely rooted in inflation, um, uh, consumer price inflation. GDP, the second report for the first quarter, so it's a revision to the first quarter GDP, Originally minus 1.5%, that dropped a little bit to, to minus 1.6. In the first report, I said, you know, we had government spending go down, we had some trade deficit numbers. I wasn't really too negative. This revision takes down personal consumption from 3.1 down to 1.8. Now that's not necessarily recessionary, but that's a big drop. It is a, a reduction in inflationary pressure. Uh, but that saw us at the negative GDP for the first quarter. Recession probability is now rising. I've said that I didn't think we'd see a recession in 22. Uh, I now think it's, it's closer to 50-50. Whether we get a, a second quarter of negative GDP, which for the quarter that ended last week, I guess is entirely possible. I think it would be just below that zero line. Technically, yes, a recession. That would be two negative quarters. Uh, I don't see this getting particularly deep. Um, if we don't get that negative reading for, for 2Q, the clock starts again, right, on that negative GDP, we'd have to see what the third and fourth quarter bring. Uh, one of the reasons I would say that if we do get one that it's incredibly uh, shallow is because uh, jobs are still very plentiful and jobless claims are still very, very low. Weekly claims for unemployment fell, uh, 233 to 231, estimate 230. So right in line with expectations. 300 line is right up here. Uh, we're well, well below that. Um, this is one of the reasons why the Fed, you know, they see well, kind of all these signs, and I'm going to show them to you shortly, that inflation is rolling over. Why is the Fed really hell-bent on raising interest rates here? And that is because they see their employment mandate as having been met and the inflation mandate as having not yet been met. So even if they turn us to a negative GDP for a quarter or two, if the employment mandate is still good, if we're still at low unemployment and low weekly claims, I think they feel very comfortable raising rates. Uh, it gives them more fuel to 
cut rates in uh, the face of a future recession, for example. Uh, so unless and until the job situation deteriorates, I think the Fed keeps going for, um, for a little while. Okay, moving along, personal income rose five-tenths of a percent in May, second straight month. That was positive. Personal spending up two-tenths, although it was only half the gain expected. But when you back out uh, the CPI, adjusting all of this for inflation, spending actually fell four-tenths of a percent. Um, uh, Inflation-adjusted spending on services, however, rose three percent. It was goods that declined. Uh, We'll keep an eye on that data. Okay, moving along. Now we get into the stuff that I think everybody's most interested in right now, just where we are in the cycle, and that is inflation. Recall that the Fed uses the core PCE price index, and they have established internally their own target to have the core PCE price index at around 2%. It has been consistently, this goes back to 2012, below that 2% level, little brief period in 18 where it got above, consistently below through the COVID pandemic, and then a shoot all the way up to about five and a half. It is now for two consecutive months begin to come down. In May, the the core um, was up three tenths of a percent. The year over year is at 4.7. That was below the expectations of 4.8. The headline was below expectations, 0.6 versus 0.7. It is up 6.3% year over year. So this is what I mean. If the Fed wants it to go here, it could say, well, we're going to pause rate hikes. We're only going to hike 25. We're only going to hike 50. But in their view, unless they're seeing a deterioration in the labor market, which they're not, I think they continue on this pretty aggressive path. And their statements from the past week really bear that out. Despite the fact that inflation data is really rolling over quite rapidly. Let's take a look. Oil down 15% from its June high of 122 down to 103. Still too high, but it's no longer going up. Natural gas at 570 is down almost 40% from its June 6th high. Starting to budge, the AAA daily national average gasoline price is down 4%. Okay, that's not much. But it's still off the June 13th high, and it didn't spike for the 4th of July weekend holiday. The Federal Reserve puts out a global supply chain pressure index. Um, and the supply chain pressure, supply chain pressures, the major component, the major component to the CPI price side. That's down 34% from the 1231 high. That's a monthly index. And I'll be waiting to see what happens for the June 30 reading, which I expect to get this week. But that's the supply chain has really improved considerably uh, over the last two or three months. The two-year inflation break-even is at 334, suggesting that market participants view inflation as dropping to about 3.3 for the next two years. That's versus 4.9 in late March. The U.S. 10-year yield has dropped from 350 down to about 282 uh, in the course of just over two and a half weeks. That's a major drop in that 10-year bond, which suggests that investors are willing to take that rate for 10 years, which means their expectations of inflation for 10 years are going down considerably. The other thing we look at is the supply of money, money supply. You know, Milton Friedman famously quipped, inflation is always an everywhere monetary phenomenon. 
when you print more money, when you increase the quantity, the supplied quantity of any of anything, its value goes down. That's inflation when you're talking about money as a commodity. And back in February, the year-over-year growth in the money supply was 27%. No wonder we had massive inflationary readings. Today, that's down to 6.5%. And the velocity of money remains very low uh, versus pre-COVID period. So if the money supply, when it was up 27%, the velocity wasn't that high. And that was the argument against inflationary pressure. It didn't work out so well. We got the inflation. But now that money supply growth is coming way, way down. So it all comes down to what will the Fed do this month on July 27th. And I have to think about it from their perspective. They've got this meeting on July 26th. The futures market, so whether or not it's 50 basis points or 75, you can see the market's betting it at 69, which means some participants betting at 50, but slightly more on 75 basis points, which puts the, which puts the Fed funds rate, you know, higher. 228 is what's implied by 69 basis points. My thought, 75 basis points is still far more likely than not, and I think it's almost backed in. Could it change? Yes. It could also change quickly, depending on the employment report uh, that we're going to get this week from ADB and the Bureau of Labor Statistics. Some of the real-time inflation indicators, which I mentioned uh, a slide ago, but I still bet would bet and suspect heavily that it's going to be 75. A couple of reasons. Number one, as I mentioned, the labor market is still very, very strong, which is what they care about because that's what the law tells them to care about. And secondly, because they don't have a meeting in August. They get that natural pause from July to September. So why not get that 75 out there now? I just think it's very low likelihood that it's not 75, but, We've got, you know, 17 days between now and then, a lot, I guess, theoretically could happen. Then the Fed goes to Jackson Hole for the August 25th, 27th meeting. Um, and I think they provide in the statements and the speeches more guidance as it relates to inflation. I think they trumpet in Jackson Hole the gains they've made, assuming they continue to make gains on inflation. And if employment remains very strong and steady, I think they, they trumpet that. And you begin to see where we might be getting closer to the end of the Fed rate hike policy, or at least a significant downshift at the September meeting where you could go to either 50 or possibly even 25. Again, depends on the case of the data. No, nobody's suggesting it's more than 50 or more than 75 uh, really at this point. And to sort of get a better view of it, I'd like to go to their comments throughout the week. Um, and here's last week's, you know, voting members of the Fed. So Jerome Powell, chairman, uh, 29th, says, hey, we can reduce inflation to 2% while maintaining a solid labor market. We can't avert recession, but the task is getting tougher. I think that's Powell saying, you know, let me translate that. We're hiking 75 basis points. It may, we may dip into a very shallow recession, but we have a job to do, and that is to whip inflation, and we're going to do it. They're really trying to avoid anchoring our inflation expectations. Loretta Mester, Cleveland, uh, said on the 29th, I'm worried about inflation expectations being anchored at high levels, suggesting she, will, she, she supports strong action despite the risks of growth. growth she says the Fed is just at the beginning of raising rates and sees Fed funds greater than 
high threes this year and greater than 4% next year. Uh, Williams, formerly of San Francisco, now of New York, uh, quote, we've got to get rates higher and we have to do that expeditiously. So with no August meeting, why would he support anything other than 75 basis points here in the July meeting? And I expect growth to slow this year quite a bit. Folks, no Fed governor is going to say the R word. Um, so I think that's a, a nod to a possibility of a shallow uh, recession, even this year. And that, that's new for me. Uh, uh, Daly from, uh, Mary Daly from San Francisco, uh, expects the Fed to raise rates to levels to restrain the economy. Uh, but that depends on a number of factors outside our control and says, I see rates heading beyond neutral, meaning contractionary. And then finally, Bullard, uh, I think will be fine. He is a little less uh, pessimistic than the others. I expect, I think recession fears are overblown. Um, he wants to, though, front low rate hikes to contain inflation and suggests that because household balance sheets are very strong, spending patterns are very good. Uh, if we get one at all, it's very shallow. I think the consensus of the voting members, these are all voters here, is uh, 75 basis points here at the end of uh, uh, at the July meeting. Further data uh, last week, uh, Chicago PMI fell from 60 to 56. That's still an expansion uh, estimate of 58. New orders, though, fell into contraction, 49.9. What I mean by more disinflationary data coming, um, this is it. On a positive note, we got employment up over, over 50 uh, there. Um, uh, S&P Global, formerly Marquette, the U.S. PMI for June, fell to a low expansion of 52.7. That was a little above expectations. Um, new orders, again, just like in the Chicago reading, below 50, and that reverses ex uh, expansion, suggesting that, you know, we're going to have some very low PMI uh, numbers in the coming months. Also, disinflationary. I believe the Fed is looking at all of this uh, data. ISM, which is just a competitive manufacturing reading to, um, to uh, S&P Global, fell to 53 a little bit below expectations. New orders here also fell into contraction. Employment fell further into contraction. Inventory's up, suggesting supply chain easing. Um, and that's obviously disinflationary. Uh, delivery times uh, declined, backlogs declined. So again, I really think we're getting through some of the supply chain issues, which are a major contributor to the inflationary pressures. And that's um, one of the reasons why I say, even though I believe 75 basis points is the most likely scenario this month, um, if, those jobs if those jobs reports are a big disappointment, then I think the Fed will back off to 75. Um, construction spending fell a tenth of a percent Well, in May, while well, expected to go up four tenths. The April gains actually revised higher. Um, so, you know, kind of okay news there. Uh, auto sales continue to be very anemic, uh, not because of a lack of consumer demand, uh, but because of the um, uh, chip, computer chip shortage, which is partly supply chain, but partly, you know, is its own sort of secular story. Um, this week, obviously, Monday was uh, Independence Day holiday, uh, and the markets were closed. We've got a lot of data this week, factory orders and durable goods, both expected to be positive. Then we get into the services sector. Um, you know, it's both, again, expect to be above 50, so not looking for contraction in that month of June. 
Job openings expected to drop from 11.4 to 10.9, so that takes away a little bit of the wage pressure, still far in excess of the number of fully unemployed. Jobless claims at 2.30, trade deficit of 85 billion, and then the big dog on uh, Friday is the Bureau of Labor Statistics looking for a 3.6% unemployment rate while adding 275,000 jobs, hourly earnings going up. Here's the thing, this number, June non-form payrolls, really significantly disappoints. That changes the Fed rate policy. I do not think that is very likely. I think we're getting 75 basis points. However, the Fed, the Fed is known to react to market conditions, and it will all come down, as I mentioned to you last week, earnings, which will not be this week, but really getting into next week, we'll start getting those earnings in that earnings guidance. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. We'll be back to you again. Uh, in six days. We'll be back to you next Monday. Thank you for listening to Slaying Bulls and Bears. If you'd like to download the slides for this week's podcast, go to www.efficient-portfolios.com and join our mailing list. Don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel, rate us online, and share with a friend if you found this helpful. See you next week.